fly. Well, I want to say a little bit about the Expert Forum. This program began in June of 2007, and it is kind of an extra value-added hour related to a variety of topics of interest to coaches and, and many professionals. It can add value to your UTD experience. You can also get one hour of continuing education units. It varies on whether it's core competencies or some other factor, but uh, this counts as continuing education. Um, you can choose to attend as many as you like. They all stand alone and cohorts, uh, students, graduates, faculty, um, supervising coaches are all welcome here. So I'm going to begin by great pleasure of introducing Susie Pomerantz. Susie is an MCC, a Master Certified Coach through the ICF, with 17 years of experience. She coaches leaders and teams in 145 organizations internationally, hopefully not simultaneously, <laughs> no. seven Fortune 100 companies. Uh, she specializes in the intersection between leadership and business development. And I know those are hot topics for everybody here. Um, another thing we share, with, which is a small fraternity of MCC credential coaches who got that credential 13 years ago. And, you know, the importance of the credential remains top of mind. I just renewed, had to renew, do it every three years, my fifth MCC renewal. So very interesting how, uh, you know, another way of saying it is we go way back. So I'm going to pause on the introductions. I think you will soon hear what all that wealth of wisdom and experience will bring to you. So I'm going to let Susie take it away. Thank you, Judy. Thank you for that wonderful introduction. And I really appreciate you inviting me to speak today, um, particularly because this is a topic that's near and dear to my heart. I'm very passionate about um, advancing our profession, and I think that one of the key ways to do that is to help coaches really understand how to make an impact in the world, whether we're working with leaders, whether we're working uh, with organizations, whether we're working with teams or with individuals, it, whatever our chosen direction, I think that um, learning the skills of business development, whether you're an internal coach or an independent coach, is going to help you do what you love and make a big difference in the world. So, um, so that's that's what we're going to look at today, and I want to co-create a dialogue with people on the call. And you may be muted, so I'm going to ask you to remember to unmute yourself if you're muted so that you can participate. Um, but I really want to leverage the expertise that you all bring to the conversation as well. And one core basic foundational thought that I want to, one seed I want to plant is that just like coaching, business development is really all about mindset. And so I want to invite you into a conversation. Uh, so that you can get the most value possible today. And I, I have a whole bunch of stuff I could talk about, but what I'd like to do is have this serve more of a group coaching structure than a traditional lecture-type structure, so please ask questions anytime. Stop me at any time. There's no such thing as a stupid question. And I just want to kick off the dialogue by asking you, to get a, and, and also to get a sense of where you are in your thinking about this topic of how to seal the deal, I'd love to know what are your current mindsets about business development or where do you most get in your own way? So is there one place where you struggle the most? Is it networking? Is it marketing? Is it sales? Or is there a mindset that you're aware of that gets in your way uh, around business development? I'd love to hear from whoever feels comfortable sharing to start off our dialogue and see. And, where, we're, where we are. And this is Judy. As a reminder, to unmute, it is pound five, just as it, as it is to mute. Sometimes people start talking and they wonder why we don't hear them. <laughs> and if you like, as kind of a way to raise your hand virtually, just say your first name and we'll recognize you and uh, we want to hear your comments. So who'd like to be first? All right, I'll be first. My name is Margaret. Hi, Margaret. I think that for me, the way that I get in my own way is that I imagine that all of this takes a huge amount of time. And I think that um, my fear is 
that I'll get so focused on networking and marketing and you know going to the next thing. It's like going out on the internet sometimes. You know, I'll find one thing, and then I'll find the next thing, and then I'll find the thing after that. And pretty soon, it's four hours later, and I really haven't gotten anything accomplished because I've just gotten so interested in the process rather than being focused on some specific result. And I think that that's my big fear about really um, throwing myself into a networking, marketing, sales um, mode. Beautiful. Thank you, Margaret. It's, that's You're welcome. It's, a common fear, and um, one thing that I can say to address that is that <laughs> the opposite is also true. So if you're not spending any time on business development, you will find yourself having too much time on your hands <laughs> and not having enough people to coach. Um, so it, 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 can, it can fill up as much time as you allow it to, and the secret is to try to find ways to conduct the activities that are aligned with your strengths and your passions and in environments that don't feel like an extra burden of time for you. There are ways to do the networking, the marketing, and the sales activities and incorporate them into what you're already doing. And in some cases, it's as simple as awareness. In some cases, it's as simple as you are um, watching a, one of your kids' soccer games and you're talking to the parents on the sidelines, and if you shift your awareness to oh, this is a networking opportunity, you start having a slightly different dialogue on the side of the soccer game than, other, than you otherwise might. So oftentimes it's not necessarily going to add extra activities into your day as it is shifting your mindset around doing what you would do anyway, but thinking about business development while you do it. This is Martha. Um, my problem is somewhat similar. Mine is finding the time along with the coaching I'm doing and the other other marketing activities I'm doing to really semi-cold call uh, law firms and other professional firms where I would seek to get face time with some decision makers about doing workshops and individual coaching. And I, I decided that I was going to hire a business development assistant and tried to do that with, so far, no luck. So uh, I find that there is not enough time for me to do both coaching and the social media and then reaching out for a brand new opportunity. And Mark, this is Judy and Susie, before you respond, I'm going to give you one of those behind-the-scenes tips. You have no way of knowing this, and Margaret, I think I hear the right Margaret, but the last two responders, Margaret and Martha, are attorneys. Have I got, oh, yeah, have I I got the right Margaret? You, you do, and I was just hoping at some point that I'd be able to connect with Martha. Susie, <laughs> <laughs> so, I think everything provides insight to us coaches, but was that helpful? Yes, and the other interesting tidbit that, Judy, you might not even know about me as well, um, is that I have coached in seven corporate law departments and more than a dozen law firms, and I often have individual attorneys that, I, that I've coached as well. So I'm familiar with the culture and the community and the legal community. Yeah. And um, so, Martha, back to your question about cold calling. My first question to you is, do you enjoy cold calling? I've never done it, but I don't no. think I would. No. I would say don't. Don't even waste your time. I'm well, when I say cold calling, let me clarify briefly, and that is I have innumerable warm leads into these situations. Okay. Uh, it's just a matter of tapping them. Great. So, so it's one of the things that's beautiful about the legal community is that referrals are something that lawyers are very comfortable with and very familiar with. It's not foreign in the in the legal community to provide and share referrals plentifully. So that works in your favor. So part of what there is to do is who you're seeking to work with are attorneys, law firms, corporate law departments, et cetera, is to plug into that referral network and, and be sure that you are referable and seek referrals, request referrals, ask for referrals, start providing referrals for that. That's the conversation to begin. Not so much, how do I get a meeting with a decision maker who could potentially buy my workshops and coaching? It's um, what are the kinds of referrals that are going to, who, who are the people that have
find that they all are planning to attend a certain function. Maybe there's a function happening at the local APA, or maybe, you know, it, it could be any number of events. So you might want to wrangle yourself an invitation to one of those events so that you can connect with those people and make that initial introduction. It doesn't have to be that for each of 10 people, you're setting up each of 10 separate meetings to travel to their office, because that's enormously time-consuming. You can't do that while you're coaching and serving your, your current client. Yeah. I think I think mine is more of a time management issue, uh, but I don't want to I don't want to uh, uh, monopolize the time here. But you're you're exactly right about referrals, and uh, my 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 difficulty is finding the time to do to get to ask for those referrals. And and you know I'm going to add uh, this is Judy. I'm going to add another resource. We have a recording from what when David Allen was our expert forum speaker. If you re like to request that recording. The topic is time management. Oh, that would be terrific. I've forgotten all about that, Judy. Thank you. Well, you know, memories are us. <laughs> <laughs> Another resource that I would share with you on that front is probably one of the books that I've recommended the most over the last five years to the executives and attorneys that I work with, and it's a book by Jim Lair and Tony Schwartz, and it's called The Power of Full Engagement. And the subtitle is where it really gets interesting. The subtitle of that book is Managing Energy, Not Time. It's the Key to High Performance and Personal Renewal. So I, it, it's not uncommon for people to think that they really need to figure out a time management system. And in some cases, it's a matter of paying attention to managing your energy more than your time so that yeah. you can do all of the things that you want to be doing that are aligned with your, your purpose and intention um, without it having to require... Uh, an organizational system for managing your time. That's so, a great point. Thank you. Yeah. Um, this is Lori Lake. Could you repeat the name of that book? Sure. It's called The Power of Full Engagement. The authors are Jim Lair, which is L-O-E-H-R, and Tony Schwartz. It's on Amazon. There's, okay. Uh, yeah. It's okay. Thanks. Yeah, as another attorney with time management problems. <laughs> you know, I forgot to say there was a third on here. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, you know, basically, look who's showing up. That's very interesting. It is very interesting. And you know what else? I uh, uh, One of my most fun, fun, fun coaching engagements ever was about six years. It was about six years long coaching the, uh, inside the DuPont legal model as it was being created. Wow. And that was so much fun. And, and you know, there's, as the, those of you that are attorneys, you're facing a very real um, <laughs> time, life, balance, yeah. you can all fit in. Um, but I can tell you that from a business development perspective, uh, one of the things, and this is for everybody, not just for my attorneys on the call here, but the, from a business development perspective, Trying to figure out how to work those conversations into the conversations you're already having is going to save you enormous amounts of time. It's going to cut the time short. And in fact, one of the things that I wanted to talk with everybody about today was the concept of what I call the three-legged stool of business development. It's networking, it's marketing, and it's sales. Those are three legs of the stool of business development. And I'm going to distinguish those for you in a few minutes. But the point I want to get to is that if you were to just do one of these domains of activity, if you were just to do networking and not do any marketing or sales, uh, research shows that it would take you a good five to seven years to get a new client if all you were doing was networking. Um, and then if you, all you were doing was marketing, it's a little bit longer. It's seven to nine years if all you were doing was marketing. If all you were doing was sales, it's a little bit shorter. It's two to three years. However, if you take, if you are working simultaneously across all three of those those domains simultaneously, so networking, marketing, and sales, you're taking action in all three domains, you will find that your business development yields results in as short as six months. So it really does save time, cuts it out, and it's about not adding these, not thinking about, remember I said it's all about mindset. You don't want to think about doing these networking, marketing, and sales activities on top of all of the activities you're already doing. It's, it's more of a shift in awareness and being. So once you understand the distinctions that we're going to talk about today, and you can make that mental shift to figure out, okay, how can I be in the conversations that I'm already in day to day and yet integrate into what I'm already doing the aspects of networking, marketing, and sales that are going to advance what I want to advance. 
principles are not just principles for um, for getting coaching clients. These principles are principles also for um, selling whatever services, you know, if they're legal services or, or, or leadership development services or training services, whatever services you want to seek to market. These concepts are core for that. Um, but I want to pause right there and see if there's anyone else who wants to share, uh, introduce themselves and share a little bit about where you get in your own way or what your current mindset is around business development. And you do not have to be an attorney. <laughs> hi. <laughs> hi, Susie. Hi, Judy. I'm not an attorney. Let's just break that cycle. It's Lisa. And I'm in cohort A, so I'm, I'm, I'm currently studying the executive coaching model. And what gets in my way is understanding or um, being careful of placing a value onto this service um, as a student who is not yet accredited. Um, I have the referrals. I have, you know, um, a good network of people to, to, to be clients, but I have this feeling that I have to offer pro bono for a time so that they could see the value, and then when it comes to kind of things, so would you like to continue as a, you know, as a, as a paying client, I have a hard time setting a value on that. Um, I don't know what the there is, but that's, that's where I'm holding myself back. Uh, Lisa, would you add for Susie, what is your market? Because that might change uh -huh. the response. Okay, my market is not corporate America. My market is in the Caribbean, where coaching is a newer service offering. Um, it's still, you know, some multinational companies, but a lot of, um, I would say, Caribbean-based companies. Um, so, you know, the foreign exchange is a, is a, is a consideration, but, but really just, you know, I could, I could pitch it against what I know consultants make. I could pitch it against what therapists um, charge per hour, um, you know, and, it, and it's, it's coming across. I mean, if we had to take a guide from what the mental coaches charge per month and for, for the time that they charge, it's still, it's still higher than that. And so I'm having a really, really hard time just placing, um, you know, placing a value to it. So the value, there's a couple of ways to approach this. The value can either be determined by what the market will bear, Okay. Or the value can be determined by the specific value proposition of the conversation you're having with a specific client. Okay. And by that, I mean if you're speaking to a Caribbean-based business and there's a particular challenge or problem that they're facing, part of what you would uncover in the sales conversation is what is the value to them of the problem they're facing? For example, uh, what is it costing them to have this problem? Or if they were to resolve this problem, what do they stand to gain? Or what do they stand to lose by not resolving this problem? And you have them put a dollar figure on the value of the problem that they're facing and what it would mean to them to solve it. Okay. And that will help you determine your pricing in accordance with what the value of resolving it means to them. Okay. So that can be specific to the clients that you're dealing with. But one thing that you said, which I'm really glad you raised, because this is something that is a pet peeve of mine that a number of coach training programs actually encourage people to do, which is give away the free coaching time to let people have a taste or an experience of it. And I have a very, very strong bias against that. And here's why. If you, as a human being, are getting a service for free, why on earth would you ever start paying for it? Um, it, there's, a, there's a psychological disconnect in there for most of us as human beings. If you, for example, let's say you were to go to your favorite shopping mall every day of the week and the parking is plentiful and abundant, and all of a sudden one day you're just running in to grab a quick something and suddenly there's a parking garage that wants to charge you $10 to park in the spot you've been parking at for years for free. You're going to be outraged. You're not going to want to pay 10 bucks to park there or you're going to do it and feel victimized. So the same thing is happening to our prospective clients who have gotten it for free. We think we'll give them a taste for free, kind of like the whole pink spoon concept at a Baskin-Robbins. They let you taste the flavor of the ice cream. Well, that's well and good when the commodity is worth, you know, a $2 ice cream cone. They're giving you a little 10-cent taste of a $2 ice cream cone. If you're giving away a free coaching session, you're giving away a much larger value percentage of your service offering then any business would rightfully give away, give away and be able to stay in business. Um, so, you know, if you were selling widgets, you wouldn't give away a whole day's worth of widgets in order to get someone to buy a whole day's worth of widgets, right? Um, it's, so it's really, it's, it's not, as a business concept, 
it's not a sound business concept for a, a service as personal and transformational as coaching. What I recommend strongly to do to give people a taste of it, if they don't understand it or they want to experience it first or they want to try it out, set up a trial engagement where you charge them perhaps a lower rate for a trial engagement, which would help you with your own confidence around, well, I'm not accredited yet, so I'm not going to charge full fare. But this does two things for you. It has them have skin in the game because they're now paying for the service. No matter if it's uh, just for a limited time or if it's a lower rate, you know, a limited trial offer. Then the other thing it does is it allows you to start to, to experience the equal exchange of value, which is what actually makes a sale. A sale, the definition of sales is that there's an equal exchange of value. Now, if you're, if you're interested in coaching someone because it's a juicy engagement and you're not looking at it, it, the money doesn't matter to you, you can still look at it from the perspective of creating an equal exchange of value because there should be something that you value that you're getting in return for your coaching expertise. It might be a testimonial from them. It might be a referral from them. It might be, uh, it might be an introduction to someone who is a decision maker in a, an organization aligned with your target market. So my point is, if you're giving it away without getting any possible exchange of value for yourself, not only are you not serving yourself and your client, but you're not serving our industry. Because what happens is, the, what, what the market values coaching at is diminished. Because if, if some portion of the market can get coaching for free, then that diminishes the value in the market for the rest of us who are trying to sell it in, in exchange for dollars. Now, the one caveat to that is pro bono coaching, when there's a, when there's a cause or a charity that you're passionate about helping, and you want, instead of donating money to that cause, you want to donate coaching services. That's a whole different ballgame. I'm all for that. I think it's an important contribution that we can make to society. We can lend our skills and our time in that way, but not as a marketing strategy. Does that make That's sense? been enormously helpful. Thank you so much. And this is Judy. I'd like to reinforce Susie's point, no surprise, with, with two points. Number one, on that whole exchange of value, which is so important to internalize, as well as to understand, you all have or will have very soon the book Smart Match Alliances. Look up the section on exchange of value, and it will reinforce those, those very salient points that, that Susie just made. And the other thing about pro bono coaching, and again, yes, let us not dilute our value in the marketplace. You will get your pro bono practice as in your educational time, when you're out in the marketplace, you can charge. Um, this, if you can set up a profitable coaching practice, you will have the luxury of donating your time to those causes that are important to you. So first get paid, and then you will have the generosity of offering your coaching to nonprofit organizations. Yeah, and this is, this is where it goes back to mindset, too, because so many of us get into coaching because we're passionate about helping people. We want to make a difference. We want to change the world. We, you know, there are things we want to do, and that's why we're attracted to coaching. That's why we're drawn or called to coaching. And yet, there's something that shifts when we think about having to ask for money in exchange for that. There's, for some people, the mindset there could be a little bit of a, feel a little bit like a cannibalization of that, which is the altruistic purpose for which we got into coaching. And so I want to challenge us to look at that. So if that's a mindset that's familiar to you, um, I want to challenge you to look at how you might be able to realign that. And one story I can share with you is that when I started my coaching business, I very much felt like sales was not in my vocabulary. It was not only nothing I wanted to have any part of, it was, to me, it was a dirty word. You know, sales was something that telemarketers did when they called my house during dinner time, or sales was something that car dealers did, or sales was something that retail people did, and it was not something that for me was aligned with, you know, my, my charge and passion to go help people make a difference for coaching, until I realized that in order for me to help people, in order for me to make a difference, I actually have to engage with those people somehow. There is some process of getting those people into the coaching conversation with me. And that process in and of itself can also very much be about helping people. And it was not until I made that critical mindset shift 
of thinking of sales as something dirty or aggressive or pushy or uh, unpalatable. When I shifted it from thinking of sales as a way of helping people, the results that followed that mindset shift were, were enormous. So when I, when I held the mindset, and this is going back 17 years now, when I held the mindset of sales as something aggressive, pushy, unpalatable, I was $10,000 in debt living off of my credit cards trying to make it work as a coach. Within six months of shifting that mindset to thinking about sales as a way I could help people, I started producing a sustainable six-figure revenue as a coach within six months. And so, so the really, truly, just like the breakthroughs that we help our clients have as coaches, the breakthroughs that we can have around business development can open the, the floodgate to access for that. This is Martha. I'm sorry, did I interrupt you? Please, please. Um, I have a, uh, a different perspective on, on the issue you're talking about, but, but perhaps <clears throat> we're talking apple and oranges. I, I always offer a complimentary consultation, mm -hmm. which always uh, centers on identifying what their issues are and what some of their goals are, and then talking about how coaching can help them achieve those goals. And it does a couple of things. One, it educates them about coaching because people have a deer-in-the-headlights look still. And secondly, it establishes rapport and creates trust. So I, I cannot, I mean, I've built a successful practice on this. It, it, it works for me. Uh, if you can, if you could show me how I could connect with people to the point where they would want to pay me uh, and where they know what they were getting, then I'm totally open to it because I've given away many, 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 many hours, all told, to a number to every single person who contacts me about coaching. Martha, this this is Judy. Now I assume you're speaking about giving away these hours one hour or less at a time. Yes, I am. Person. Yes. Okay, I wanted to make that clear. I think I know where Susie's response is going, but uh, I wanted to clarify that. Yes, absolutely. It's 45 to minutes to an hour. I'm somehow not able to keep it to a half hour. And I make mine 20 minutes. I know you do, and I'd, I'd love to hear that. Okay, Susie, I, I, I let, let's hand you Martha's question. Yeah. So, Martha, um, first of all, it's... A, Everything that you're saying is right on target, and I think the slight mindset shift for you is to look at that that, um, that consultation, that initial consultation that you're giving them for free, that is your sales conversation. Yes, it is. Yeah. So, you, so it's a, we don't charge for the sales conversation. You recoup that on the back end, right? Okay. Oh, well, yes, it is. That sales conversation, the outcome I'm, I'm shooting for is at the end they give me their visa number. To pay for that hour? No, to to that's the way of sealing the deal. Yeah, got it. Okay. So right. So at the end of that sales conversation, you want them to take some action forward with you, whether it's giving you their visa or signing a contract with you or engaging in whatever time frame you want them to engage in, in right. your, your coaching structure. Fine. So the thing is just to shift so that you're not thinking about that as giving away coaching. Because what you're doing in that conversation is you're not coaching in that conversation. And that's the distinction. You're you're understanding their needs and That's you're looking right. at how you might be able to help them, but you're not doing the actual helping and solving the problem in that conversation. That's you true. You started coaching there, right? That's true, yes. Yeah, so you're doing it right. That's the sales conversation. That's what I'm, when I refer to a sales conversation, it's that initial consultation. And no, you can't charge for that, but you can shorten it. You can absolutely shorten it. I would love to know how to shorten it. Come <laughs> well, to class. <laughs> Thank you very much. Appreciate your clarifying. Yeah, and so let me, let's talk a few minutes about terms, because I want to make sure we're all on the same page. I want to define these terms, um, because I know that there is a lot of confusion, not only in the coaching industry, but in the marketplace about these terms. And so let's just get ourselves all on the same language page, at least. So business development, sometimes for those of you who are lawyers, it's called rainmaking. Business development and rainmaking are the same term used interchangeably. Business development and rainmaking mean simply creating opportunities for you to help people, creating opportunities for you to make a difference, whether you're um, doing it as a lawyer,
market my business or what are you doing for marketing? And when sometimes I often hear the term marketing used to mean business development or rainmaking, which is why it's important that we understand the distinction between all the terms. So the umbrella term is business development or rainmaking, but business development, and for our purposes, business development is the three-legged stool that's made up of networking, marketing, and sales. Now, networking, and this is where your um, Venn diagram sheet that, that you had sent to you prior to this call could be a useful visual. So there's three circles intersecting there. One circle is networking. Networking is the relational aspect of your business. It's about connecting with others for a whole array of purposes. It might be for sharing resources. It might be for information sharing, for lead sharing, for referrals, for ideas. It's cultivating a working network of relationships is crucial to your business development system, but in and of itself is not sufficient to build, your, build or expand your client base. But in its purest form, networking is about creating a genuine human connection without any specific agenda. It's about the genuine human connection. And I oftentimes have folks who say to me, well, I'm an introvert and I don't like going to these networking events. And, um, and that's a very common question that I hear on these kinds of calls. So let me just address that, which is that networking is something that anyone can do, introvert, extrovert. It has nothing to do with how many meetings you attend or how many conversations you have or how outgoing you are or even how comfortable you are with people. It's that as a human being, there are times in your life when you are creating a genuine human connection with people. Whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, you're doing that. That is networking. Uh, so. What the difference is that an introvert is going to need to pace him or herself so that they have time to restore their energy battery. So an introvert is not going to be able to go to a six-hour networking function and be able to go out for drinks afterwards. An introvert is going to have to you know, kind of go get some alone time to recharge. That's basically the difference there. But networking is not something that you do only when you have your business suit on or when you have a pocket full of business cards or when you're going to an event that's called a networking event. Networking is ongoing all the time. Anytime you're connecting with someone, that's the whole point. That's it. That's all it is. So for those of you who are worried about finding the time to make this happen, hopefully I just removed that fear by letting you know that you can do this anytime, anywhere, grocery store checkout line, you know, whoever you're having lunch with, whoever, whoever you're already talking to. If you just think about how can I engage in this conversation in a way that might expand my network, you're going to be looking for places to make those genuine human connections. Marketing. Uh, marketing is really about preparing to take yourself, your unique identity, your package, your irresistible offer, and your message to market. So marketing is the preparational aspect of your business. Networking was the relational aspect. Marketing is the preparational aspect. So this involves strategy, design work, anytime you're writing articles or writing um, copy for your newsletter, for your website, any kind of um, activities that you might be doing sort of on your own in front of your computer, <laughs> that's marketing. Branding is part of marketing. Creating your materials is part of marketing. Very necessary, very important, but in and of itself is not going to be the thing that's going to get you the clients who are going to pay you the money. It's a, sort of a necessary piece of the whole system. And then sales activities, the sales piece is the implementation side. So networking is, relation, is about relations, marketing is about preparation, and sales is about implementation. Sales activities are implementing your business development strategy. So that might mean that you're making appointments, that you're asking for referrals, that you're seeking to be of service and making fabulous offers. Um, and, and the big difference in sales is that you're asking for the business. That's a piece that often gets dropped out, and we wonder why people aren't ready to sign up because half the time we haven't asked. So the sales, sales is keeping in mind that, that it, there's an equal exchange of value that comes out of the sales process. Whether that's money or something else is for you to decide, but there must be an equal exchange of value. Um, and, and these distinctions apply internally in an organization as well. So if you're an internal coach, you still have to work to build your network internally. You, you need a network of advocates, allies, and champions. Uh, you still have to think about the marketing piece, which is how do you craft your message in ways that resonate as relevant with the various stakeholders and diverse audiences, you know, whether it's someone you 
your value-added contribution, and that's sales internally. So I'm going to pause here and ask, um, is this resonating? What questions do you have? Is this a different way of looking at it? Uh, let me know how this is hitting for you. Susie, this is Meg. Just a really quick um, to reinforce that you can market anywhere or get your name out anywhere. Yesterday on my way to work, I had to stop real quick and buy tissue for my home. And the girl at Sam said, you're stopping just to buy Kleenex? And I said, well, a therapist's office always has to have Kleenex in it. Now, she didn't know I was transferring over to coaching, but she said, you're a therapist? Can, I, can you be my therapist? Wow. So I mean, and, and I said, I'm sorry, no, because I'm switching to coaching, but I can say I'm a good therapist. But um, literally, checking out at the checkout line, she asked why I was buying tissue, and so it can happen anywhere. It can this happen is, anywhere. This is pretty cool. I got to second that one because the biggest piece of business that I've ever had that I continue to have that netted me probably about $150,000 over my career came from admiring a woman's shoes during a cooking class. <laughs> I mean, it's not like she hides. 
right, yeah. Teresa? Well, yeah. that's true because I just go and enjoy myself and I don't try to sell anything. And that, but that makes all the difference. That makes all the difference. And I think we have to honor the sacred space of each of these different kinds of conversations. So, for example, when you are creating a genuine human connection with someone, even if you do go to some of these formal networking events and someone tries to sell you at one of these events, it feels icky. Yeah. It doesn't honor the space of the intention of the event. So I think keep networking keep networking as a networking event, keep sales as a sales event, keep marketing as a marketing event, but make sure you're doing all three of them simultaneously. And there is a transition point when networking transitions into sales, and in the course of that transition, you still have to honor the sacred space of both kinds of conversation. And I say that to mean that it, it's human nature to want to jump on the bone. If you're in a networking conversation with someone and they say, oh, I could use those services, let's talk about that, it, you know, you're going to want to start to jump right in there and start coaching them right away, or to jump right in there and move it to a sales conversation right away. And instead, if you can refrain from jumping on that bone, and if you can create a separate conversation for the sales conversation, say, oh, that is fabulous. I would love to talk to you about that. Let's get out our calendars and set up a time to, get, to do that, and then let's get back to whatever, you know, the cooking class or whatever we're doing. Um, then it really honors their time. It lets them see that you're not desperate for the sale. And then when you do get into that sales conversation, you have carved out a separate amount of time specifically for the purpose of looking at how your services can apply to their challenge or problem. And, and you have permission for that conversation. I, my assertion is that in a networking space, we don't have permission for a sales conversation, even if the person starts asking for it. You yeah. know, Susie, it's interesting that you use the metaphor of jumping on a bone. Uh, I was about to ask Teresa to add one sentence about the effect of having a puppy with her. <laughs> well, okay, one sentence. I, in presenting a lunch and learn topic, I have gotten more coaching clients presenting a dog topic than a coaching topic. <laughs> really? Yeah. Because they don't, they, it's, it's all about connecting with the person, not what the person's selling. And for the people that, that uh, have not met you in person, Teresa, why did I mention having a puppy? You only gave me one sentence. Why did you include that part? But, no, but, um, but I, I raised service dogs. And so many times, certain, certain types of events. Now, I won't take a service puppy with me when I go speak to an executive um, lunch and learn, but when I go, or a company lunch and learn, but when I go speak to a rotary club or things like that, then I will, because they are usually service-based, then I will take the puppy, and that connects them to me as a person. But I make sure that when they leave, they always have my business card and my one sheet. And the other thing about that, too, is that when you're talking about the service puppies and the work that you do with the service dogs and raising them, there's your natural passion shines through when right. you're thinking about that. And that's what people connect with. So that's the thing that I want to I want to give everybody on the call permission to let go of all of your shoulds about what you should be doing for networking, marketing, and sales. And if you can connect in and align your business development activities with things that you are already doing that you are already passionate about, that's where you're going to create that powerful connection, and that's what people are going to be attracted to. So if people see you engaging in activities that you love, making a difference, connecting with people, enjoying yourself, your passion is shining through, they're going to be attracted to that. They're going to say, I want some of that. And if they find out that you now have this secret sauce called coaching that can help them get that too, that's going to seal the deal for you more than any pitch you could give or any list of benefits you could provide. So people buy... People buy from people that they trust. People buy for something that they either are sure is, gonna, is going to salvage a pain that they have, you know, solve a, a problem, or create some enormous value that they don't know how to create for themselves. Susie, this is Martha again. Uh, one thing I coach my clients, lawyers about is, you know, there are many, there's scads of good, well-qualified lawyers, but they're not that many good, well-qualified lawyers whom you just love being around. <laughs> you know? So it, it's, that's the differentiator. And if, if you can establish that differentiator as people, people experience joy and fun in your presence in addition to getting the coaching value, then you're going to be the one they choose in the beauty contest. And you know if you're going to a networking event and you hate networking events, 
you're not going to be shining in that space. You're not going to be connecting genuinely unless you're connecting genuinely around grumbling about the event with somebody else. And that's not a space that you, that's not you putting your best foot forward. So, um, so really understanding, and I think that this is a place for, for everyone to be able to define for yourself what, what are your current mindsets? What are the beliefs that you have about business development or sales or networking or marketing or all of the above? And, and what would an ideal way of thinking about that be? What definition of those would serve and support you best? You know, and, and somehow that links to what are you passionate about. It links to what gives you energy. It links to what are your skills and strengths. It leads to what makes you a great coach. It, leads to, it links to why you became a coach in the first place. Those are the places to go to look at uh, how you want to define business development for yourself. And, and I would encourage everybody to come up with their own definition that really uh, inspires you and lights you up because I can tell you from personal experience, when I was able to shift to the sales, sales being a place where I could really help people and make a difference, it, it opened up the whole world to me because I can be in a sales conversation now and I am not attached to the outcome of getting the sale. I am seeking to serve in that conversation. And whether serving means that they hire me to help them on the long term or whether it means I'm making a referral to someone else who would be better suited for them, either way, I'm coming from a place of helping people in that sales conversation. And that freed me up to, it, it helped me get rid of all of the stuff that I was paying attention to in the background of what felt icky for me. So we all have those things. The challenge is to look for yourself, identify what are your limiting beliefs, what's holding you back, what are the things that feel icky to you, and don't do them. I'm the first, I'm the first person to say, you do not have to ever make a cold call again if that feels icky to you. I personally, I don't do cold calls. I hate them. <laughs> I've been in business 17 years. I don't make cold calls. So clearly you don't have to make cold calls to succeed. And that's probably true of any of these aspects. So find the ways of doing it that work for you. Find the ways of defining it for yourself that free you up. Find the places where you might have a belief that gets in your own way and see what you can do to reframe it. And, and one, of the, one of the key points to all this, too, you know, that you can actually create your own sweet spot. So the sweet spot is that little star in the middle of the chart where all three of those circles intersect. The sweet spot is where it's easiest and most effortless to seal the deal. And, and one of the things to keep in mind around business development is that it, it is not unlike coaching in that both are a series of conversations. They're both based in questions that are designed to help co-create solutions to whatever pressing challenges the person in front of you is facing. And so the only differentiator in where they split ways is that in a coaching conversation, you're going to dive into coaching using all of your coaching skills and methodologies. In a sales conversation, you're looking at co-creating how coaching would, would do that. But you're, it's still the same series of conversations and exploring with your potential client, with your prospect. What are, uh, this is Martha, what are some um, observations or questions that you make when coaching prospects express objection? You know, in other words, there's an obstacle there to their wanting to hire you. Yeah, so objections are a key part of the sales process. There's a whole chapter in my book, Field the Deal. Chapter 5 is all about um, overcoming objections. But the key thing to know about objections, just if I could encapsulate it in a nutshell for you, is that there really are only a finite number of objections that your prospects could come up with. And chances are, if we spent a few minutes brainstorming them, we'd come up with them. You know, there may be seven, there may be nine. But it's the, it's the things you're always hearing, right? We don't have a budget for that. We already use somebody else. Um, I, I, you know, I'm not the decision maker, right? There's a series of objections that are familiar that you hear all the time. And if you were to make a list of what those, you know, five to ten objections are that are the common objections, you can then plan ahead for what you would say to, uh, to open the conversation beyond that. An objection is really uh, a pause in the conversation, and, and oftentimes we can view it as the end of a conversation, and it really isn't the end. Uh, it's an opportunity to really what it tells you when an objection is raised. It tells you, I don't clearly see the value yet. Mm -hmm. That's really what all objections are telling you. So instead of launching into um, a, a pitch or a monologue about what the value is for them, that's, that's a clue to you to start asking more questions of them about where the value proposition really lies for them. Maybe you haven't hit it yet. 
maybe you've made the ask too soon. Um, and so objections are really like a stop sign in the conversation. You stop for a second, you figure out which direction you need to go, and then you move forward. It's not the end of the conversation. Uh, sometimes I will use the phrase, uh, I call it a power phrase from the, the book called Power Phrases. I'll use, uh, what would it mean to you if, or if this were true in your life, what impact would it have on your life? That kind of thing. So to create a question that opens up their minds to possibilities. Yeah. 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 And often I'll ask, you know, let's say we did go forward and do this six-month engagement. How would you know at the end of this that this was a value to you? How would you know that this was worth your time? What What's the win? Yeah. What's the win? You know, and to have them start thinking about that. And then they define the win. And then you can take it even further and say, okay, if you got that win, what does that mean for your firm or for your company or for your business or for whatever? You know, what? and, and if you don't get that win, what will the cost be? Yes. Help them. You just kind of hold their hand and walk them down that exploration. And then it starts to become, they start to answer the question for you. They start to ask you when they can start. You don't end up having it at that point. Feeling the deal is like falling off a log. Because you're not saying... Do you want to move forward? It's just a matter of when are we when are we moving forward? You know, it's just yeah. it gets very easy at that point when they're super clear about the value. Um, and the other the other strategy in there is what I call the unsell. It's being so detached from the outcome that you're willing to walk away and, and that you actually try to convince them that you're not the right person for them, so that you're willing to make a referral, that you're looking at helping them solve it in a different way. Nine times out of ten, what happens when you're help, really helping them look at it as a partner, not as someone who needs them to buy from you, they start to really respect and value your opinion in that moment a lot more because they see that you're not hungry for the sale. They see that you're really looking out for what's their best interest. And nine times out of ten, they'll turn around and say, you know what, I don't want to start again down the path with some other new referral person that you're recommending now. Why don't you and I just go forward? But objections are a normal part of the sales process, and if we consider objections rejections, then we've missed the ball. Yeah. An objection is it simply it, it simply lets you know they're not quite there yet, and there's more conversation to have. Suzanne, can I just ask you to clarify the unsell part of it? You said if you are um, detached enough where you're able to make a referral, um, and they see that you're genuinely just interested in getting the best results for them. Um, then um, that's where it may, um, or, or did you, or, or is it that the unsell is, is an undesirable trait where um, you're really too removed from the from the process? No, the unsell is a way of differentiating yourself in the sales conversation in a positive way. The unsell okay. is when is when you can let go of your attachment to getting this sale and really start looking at, and oftentimes I'll even say to them, you know, maybe I'm not the right person for this. You know, I could refer you to so-and-so. And then you start thinking of specific people in your network who you think could also be of benefit to them. And being willing to say, you know what, you could work with me and this other person that I know is, is also excellent at this. And let me tell you about this person and see if that makes sense for you to, to move forward with them. I'd be happy to make that introduction. Right? Because then, oftentimes what will happen in that situation is either they'll say, yes, thank you so much, I would really appreciate that. Then you make the referral and, um, and you create a goodwill both with a colleague and with the prospective client. They're going to remember that. Or they'll say, they'll come back and say, yeah, no, I don't really want to start down this path with someone else. Why, you know, why don't you and I just get going? You know, I appreciate your thinking about that, but why don't we work together? So either way, it, weren't, it, it ends up being good. This is Teresa. I love using that strategy with folks that are dollar conscious when their objection is expense and they question the rate, then offering them say, you know, I have a whole network, you know, a very good, you know, coaches that might be able to do this for the rate that you're wanting. I'd be happy to refer you to those. You can talk to some of those. And usually seven out of ten times they come back or they don't go. And the, and the objection about rate can always be handled with a scope change as well, mm -hmm. right? If it's the bud, if it, usually it's not that they have a question about your hourly rate. Usually it's, just, it's, the, it's the cumulative expense that is creating sticker shots. So you simply alter the scope. You know, you close for a smaller deal. Yeah. You create that opportunity. So You yeah. mean for a shorter length of time, and then they'll get 
so much so much benefit that they'll extend. Right. So if what you see is the, is a fifty thousand dollar opportunity to work with six of their executives over a half a year, but that you know fifty thousand dollars that they're not willing to spend and didn't budget for and don't really know, you're not a proven entity to them yet. So then maybe you sell them um, a, a half day executive roundtable where you work with those six executives and do a half day group coaching thing that you know would be thirty five hundred or five thousand or whatever. It's a much smaller piece of pie. They usually can find that amount of money without it having been previously budgeted for. That can fly under the radar. You'll get in, you'll create the relationships, you'll create the results, and from within you can expand the sale. It's much easier at that point. And, and uh, this is Judy, you've got two variables to work with. You've got frequency and you've got duration besides the whole length of the engagement over a lapse of time. So frequency, you know, adjust. Do you meet with them four times a month? Or one time a month, and I, I avoid beginning with one time a month, but it's possible. Do you meet for an hour, or do you meet for a lesser period of time, or do you meet for 90 minutes? Or so you've got uh, you, you've got frequency, you've got duration of the call, and you've got length of the engagement to work with. Mm-hmm. And you can always alter any aspect of the scope to suit their budgetary needs. So I'm looking at the time, and I want to allow time for any other questions. Yeah, and, and, and uh, I, I'm going to try to guide these into quick questions and allow Susie to let people know where they can get more information by uh, repeating your website as well. Sure. Let me go ahead and do that, and then, then we can take the questions. So it's suziepomerantz.com, S-U-Z-I-P-O-M-E-R-A-N-T. And there you can find all kinds of resources and tools. There's an online store, but there's also a bunch of free articles and podcasts and videos that you can access about business development. So, um, and, and you can contact me anytime, too. I'd love to email with folks as well. So um, I'd love to hear any questions or any takeaways that you're taking out of this call, either a new um, idea or action or strategy or mindset that you're taking away and how that might help you or any burning questions Hi, this is Connie. I uh, am a recent graduate of Cohort 7B and I'm just starting out launching my own private practice. And I just wanted to uh, offer that this has been very affirmative to me because marketing is one of those beasts that you just got to keep doing it consistently. You don't see any immediate gratification typically from your marketing efforts and your sales strategies and particularly someone brand new starting out such as myself. But it was very affirming to me to hear that all three prongs of your strategy are the three prongs that I'm really very myopically focused on. And so that, that provides me with a great deal of encouragement, and I thank you for that. Great, Connie. Congratulations. Thank you. Anyone else? Well, it is amazing how much information and interaction we were able to fit into one brief hour, and hopefully this is food for thought, food for development. Um, you know, uh, certainly this is an ongoing dialogue and investigation. I want to thank you all for being here and remind you that our next expert forum will be on March 24th. You will see Save the Date in your weekly coach notes, and as we get closer, you'll see a full um, a, a full announcement. Susie, thank you so much. This has not only been informative, but lots of fun, so uh, really do appreciate the experiment of our new noon time, and we shall repeat this time again, not every month, but it seems to have worked out beautifully. So thank you all for being here, and have a great day. Thank you. Thank you, Susie and Judy. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Judy? Yes, Susie? No, Judy, this is Connie. I just wanted to...